Hello everyone and welcome to a, another episode of Let's Talk About SACT. My name is Michael, I'm a Advanced Cancer Pharmacist and the Education and Training Secretary as well as the podcast host. And today I'm joined by Claire Kennedy. I'll let you introduce yourself Claire. Thank you very much, Michael. Yes, my name's Claire. Um, I work for the Oxford University Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust. I've actually worked there for 30 years in a few roles before I specialised in oncology and haematology, working with Nicola Stoner. Many of you may know Professor Nicola Stoner. Um, and I have been working in this field for just over 20 years now. And I really love what I do. Very happy to have you here and I've been very excited about this episode. So what are we talking about today, Claire? So we're talking about technicians, pharmacy technicians, to be able to validate SACT chemotherapy prescriptions. So traditionally, this role was undertaken by a pharmacist who would verify a doctor's prescription of SACT chemotherapy. Um, and in years gone by, most of that was just plain old chemotherapy. Pharmacist would, would screen it, clinically verify it as being correct and send it down to compounding units to be manufactured. There's a lot of extended roles now in pharmacy and pharmacists have um, much more meatier, exciting roles working in clinics, working in, alongside doctors, running their own clinics, even their own prescribing, non-medical prescribing clinics. And so in turn, this has left a bit of a hole in verifying prescriptions. So this role of verifying prescriptions for pharmacy technicians evolved really through the development of the pharmacist role. And so today I have been working with BOPA to endorse a document so we can have pharmacy technicians doing this in other trusts. Perfect. So how, how did this idea come about? So it, it kind of evolved really from two elements. One, which was the extended the um, development of the pharmacist role and the government publication that came out, I forget the name for this now, which um, embraced pharmacists to go into more enhanced roles, including non-medical prescribing. And again, like I aforementioned, that made holes and gaps in having to recruit pharmacists to fulfill those positions. In Oxford in particular, we have we struggle to recruit because we we don't actually get any London waiting, yet our cost of living is very similar to London. So people tend to just come for a short time in Oxford. So we, we have a, a lot of vacancies. So because there was these vacancies, my or Professor Nicola Stoner, she turned two of these positions into pharmacy technician roles that were going to be involved in verifying these prescriptions. So that's how it all uh, came about. And this all started back in 2018. So we've been far-fetched or for sort of flying with this really since end of 2000, well, 2020 really. By the time the document was all signed off and we were through some of our accreditation logs. So it, it took a little while to get off, off the ground. Yeah. So how did the how did the process actually start? So it started with with this identifying that there was a gap need and we needed to fill it. So it went to finance to as a bit of a business case to say, well, actually, do you know what, if we have these people in, we're going to get the work done in the basic things that need to be done. And we then had to move. Uh, so Professor Nicola Stoner wrote um, a document which was based on the pharmacist competencies. Bopper 
competencies as it was back then for verifying SACT and also the accredited um, pharmacy technician scheme. So we amalgamated, or she, Nicola Stone amalgamated this document into one document to enable us to um, go through competing logs um, to prove competencies. And to start the project, what did you guys have to do? So Nicola Stoner submitted the business case. What what were the next steps? So there was a lot of next steps. So it went through various internal trust panels, including our education and training, our, uh, we call it TAP panel, but the accreditation panel. Um, it went through the internal governance process and it also then had to go to trust level to make sure from a legal point of view that there was no concerns with, with what we were doing. We also contacted the APT UK to make sure that they were on board with technicians doing this and once all of that kind of was all signed off Chandra my my co-colleague um, um, and myself who were appointed into these roles were able to start completing our logs. What did the logs involve? So the logs involved initially reading the SOPs becoming familiar with the documents that we were going to be using. Actually as I mentioned before I've been in oncology a little while so I kind of were very aware of the policies and the processes in terms of having to verify SACT and the policies that we have for the each individual chemotherapy agents. So it was becoming familiar with all of those. We then had, once we'd done all the reading, we then had some tutorials and we were assigned a mentor. With these tutorials, we were given each an individual drug, which we learned a little bit about and did some actions and uses and some clinical information on, on what they all were, what it entailed, understood the protocol and the relevance to the investigations associated with it. And then we were able to start completing 10 double checked logs for each mm -hmm. agent. Okay, perfect. And because it is a sort of a development in in the pharmacy technician role in in oncology services were there any was there any resistance from other staff when it comes to these new responsibilities for pharmacy technicians that's a really interesting question thankfully in at oxford university in my trust it it wasn't met with resistance i think what was required was to make sure that we were suitably supported we were we had the right resources to be able to do this and insurances so they were quite keen to make sure that we we had personal um, indemnity insurances and obviously we're registered professionals and so we knew our scope of practice and also that we we were um, individuals that could call if we had issues or we weren't sure or we had doubts so I think overall it was met with a lot of positivity mm. especially as it enabled pharmacists to be able to you know work in their clinics. Yeah absolutely and as you've said you're you're registered professional and you're highly skilled healthcare professionals so it's it's great that you have this new responsibility and you're able to help out and use those skills that you have through the project were there any barriers that you've noticed um obviously there's an educational barrier because as pharmacy technicians required to have a degree for the role um, it's just fortunate that i 
do have a natural science degree, which I did through my own learning. And I think has given me a lot of skills to take to the role. But I don't think it's that entirely necessary. I think the main thing is to have the support and to have a mentor and understand what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you mentioned that it started in 2018. So what, what sort of timescales do you think other trusts would would see? Do you think it would be similar a couple of years to get this project going? So um, I'm hopeful, no, it's going to be quicker. That's a lot of time to spend on an individual in a training mode when you really, and, and actually as a pharmacy technician, I'm I'm the same inadverted commas, obviously not to, to the same educational responsibilities level as a pharmacist. I'm a registered professional and I have the same standards that I, I need to adhere to. So we have been working on a document along with BOPA to have this as a standard pro forma for people to use. So hopefully all of the groundwork that was required back in 2018 to get this to where it is now will mean that it isn't going to take so long for other trusts to be able to implement in their areas. And what measures did you look at to make sure that safety and governance procedures were covered? Yeah, so so at Oxford, Professor Nicola Stone was really quite keen to make sure that all of that was all, it was all transparent, it was all above board. And we, as I mentioned before, we went to the trust legal team to make sure that there was no issues with the trust. And it was it was agreed that we were a registered professional. And therefore, as long as we had our own indemnity insurances, there was no issue. We sought information with the APT UK to understand their views on on it as well and also we then went to some national governances to make sure that it was in align with all their policies and procedures so once all of that was kicked off and understood that actually it was okay it got signed off by the director of pharmacy perfect and when it comes to actually checking prescriptions what do you clinically verify? Are there are there some prescriptions that you can't clinically verify? And what, what does that process look like? So this is a really exciting time for pharmacy technicians. And I was at Bopper and presenting and I remember saying, oh, we're just pharmacy technicians. And no, we're not just pharmacy technicians. We're part of part of a, an important workforce and um, work collaboratively with pharmacists and other healthcare professionals. At the moment, it's still in its infancy. It's, a, it's still quite new. We've been signed off to check a variety of prescriptions. At the moment, as it works in Oxford, we can screen um, capsitabine, but that would only be for single agent breast patients. So yes, it's used in bowel, but we wouldn't be able to screen those, even though it's the same agent, it's for a different indication. So we so so we're very clear it's that drug and that indication. So I'm um, signed off, for example, to be able to screen denosumab. I can screen um, enzalutamide, abiraterone, zoledronic acid. But again, zoledronic acid is for a variety of indications. For this, it's only multiple myeloma patients, pentamidine for multiple myeloma patients, and also trastuzumab, IV, not the subcut at the moment. Mm -hmm. 
So there's huge scope for us to develop that and gain more logs to be able to extend that uh, portfolio. My colleague is currently looking at screening um, hydroxycarbon mice, but again, that will be just for one single indication. Mm-hmm. So this can develop. This has as long as as we as we get a bit more understanding and as trusts get a bit more confidence with the document and the training and um, reassurance from all the learning that's gone on before we can adapt this and grow this to um, to within the limitations of the role of the pharmacy technician it, it it's definitely got room here to grow and expand in terms of future planning would would you be looking at multiple agents of chemotherapy or would that stay with the pharmacist to clinically verify? That's a really good question. In our trust at the moment, we are looking at flat doses, single agent-ish. That's not to say we wouldn't look at that in the future. I think at the moment with all of the pressures on the oral chemotherapy side of things, like all sacked, coming through that workload is quite humongous and so there's definitely a place for a pharmacy technician to be able to look at this workload. Absolutely and if you had to do the process all over again would you do anything differently? Um, Yes so um, it's only one little tiny I say tiny so the role when it was developed um, was developed alongside Uh, My actual job title is Advanced Clinical Cancer Pharmacy Technician and Operational Manager. So I lead a team and I lead a technical team, which often comes with operational challenges and especially with the COVID, etc. And so having the time to do the clinical side of things, as well as covering a technical rotor when there's illnesses. So I become an MMT, then I become an ACT, and then I'm up on the ward, and then I'm in the day treatment unit. So because I can, I'm can, i skilled in lots of different areas, I'm often pulled into these areas. So I would suggest that anybody that's looking for this role puts in the business case for this to be just one person doing this one job because that's how you're going to maximise the pharmacy technician doing the clinical verification. Yeah. And what are your words of advice for trusts and pharmacy technicians who want to do this role and who want to implement this role in their trusts? I am so passionate about this document. I, I'm 100% behind this and believe that um, if you want to do this, then anybody can, providing you've got the support, a mentor and the learning and the education behind it to understand why you need an echo with um, trusteesumab, to understand um, the implications of all the investigations that need to go on for your agent that you're screening. It's just really exciting. Yeah. And what advice would you give to pharmacists to better support their technicians in reaching this goal and how how to better support these pharmacy technicians wanting to do this role? So just to just to rewind slightly here with the technicians, I think it's important to understand your limitations Mm. and to know exactly that actually there are some things you're not going to understand everything and actually it's okay to ask and I think a lot of pharmacy technicians are very good at doing that. I think for pharmacists 
helping with the education and the support and and feeding down their immense knowledge is 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 100% required for this role to be successful i couldn't do my clinical verification if i didn't have the pharmacist my and my mentor walking me through how they screened uh, enzalutamide prescription what they're thinking what they're doing talking out loud as they're clicking through the buttons and through the spreadsheets and the protocols so I got to understand firsthand exactly what what their their thinking is thank you and as part of BOPA where we are we are working on a clinical verification guideline an update to the clinical verification guideline that looks at incorporating pharmacy technicians into this screening process which is very exciting and we're also implementing a BOPA passport which is also going to include pharmacy technicians so I think the pharmacy technician role is growing and I hope it continues to grow because it means that we can utilise pharmacy technicians better, but we can also utilise pharmacists better. So I think overall for the pharmacy team, it's it's an inc- incredible opportunity. So thank you for coming onto the podcast. If anyone has any further questions in terms of setting up the process or having teething problems with the process, is there a way to contact you? Yes, absolutely. And I have had contact from others um, before. So I'd welcome anyone who's thinking of this or would like to know any information to get in touch. Email is probably the best and probably the best medium for most people these days. So it's Claire. So it's C-L-A-I-R-E dot Kennedy, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y at O-U-H dot N-H-S dot U-K. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Claire, for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely to have you and I hope that the membership learns from this and can start implementing these roles in their trusts. Absolutely. Um, And thank you everyone for listening and I'll see you in the next episode of Let's Talk About Sacks.